Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Hello and welcome to the Liberty B-Sides podcast. If you're used to the dulcet tones of Steve King, sorry to disappoint, uh, this is Anthony and Greg. This is the resident hour on B-Sides, or as we're calling it, the B-Sides B-Team. So Greg, how are you doing today? Man, I'm good. I'm, uh, I was a little sick over the weekend, so I'm recovering, but I feel good right now. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, and you probably wouldn't have known from yesterday, Greg was a bit under the weather when he was preaching, but he did a great job. I told him he did. He had a Michael Jordan sick game experience. I don't know if Greg quite understood what that meant or the deep compliment that it was, but he did a great job. It was a great sermon. I would have never known that your yeah. temperature was. A I just high. don't. I don't. I don't think I watch enough football to understand the sports reference that you just made. So that's fair. Yeah, Michael Jordan, known celebrated football player. He got, really got those touchdowns. Yeah. He did. He did. He got those holes in ones every time. Uh, so, Greg, we have a couple questions came in. We had two questions from this week's sermon, and we got one from last week's sermon with Matt. So we're going to answer all three of those. This is kind of a little bonus question thrown in there for fun. Um, but before we get into that, you you did a great job walking us through Second Kings 13 yesterday. So do you want to give us like a 5,000-foot view and a brief outline of what the sermon was about, what what the text was, and and your major points. So the text was 2 Kings 13, and it was a a bit of a weird text. A whole bunch of just really strange Mm -hmm. things happened. But we kind of discussed, like, okay, grace can either be really good for us or really bad. Some people respond poorly to grace. And so we kind of asked ourselves throughout the morning of, like, how are we responding to the grace of God? So um, the the sermon outline was two failures and a foretaste. So we looked at the first failure with Jehoahaz, who allowed his heart to be hardened by grace and continued following idols. Then we looked at the second failure of Joash, Jehoahaz's son, um, who didn't allow his heart necessarily to be hardened, but just kind of became apathetic to the grace of God because he got so used to it. And then we finally, uh, we, we talked about a foretaste of, there was this weird story with a corpse being thrown against the bones of Elisha and being resurrected and said um, that this actually points us first to um, Israel as a nation in exile being brought back to life. But then second and a greater pointing was toward the resurrection of Jesus and by virtue of our spirit wrought union with him, our subsequent resurrection. And so... We ended by saying, how are we responding to the grace of Jesus' resurrection? And uh, yeah, that's the sermon in a nutshell. Yeah, and I thought you did a really great job. An underrated thing you did well was keeping all the J names straight. There was a ton in this passage. And even in like thinking through the text, I'm opening my Bible now because I know I'm going to butcher these J names. I'm all kinds of mixed up. But one of the questions we had coming into this, and you did a great job walking us through this kind of interesting scenario where Elijah tells Joash to to hit the arrows on the ground. Yeah. And I was coming, coming into it, I'm like, I wonder how Greg's going to handle this. But you did a great job, and you really likened it to kind of his apathy or even disbelief in Yahweh and what Elijah was telling him to do. 
And so a question we had that, uh, that, that came in was, what are some practical ways that we can avoid becoming apathetic about the gospel? What keeps us from hitting our, our meager arrows three times instead of five or six? Yeah. Um, so I, I thought about this for a little, and uh, this isn't an exhaustive list. Um, it might be too much, but I have seven ways that I think, like, just really quick, helpful, practical things that you can do to fight passivity, spiritual passivity, and apathy in your own life. Um, the first is just, like, really simply... Bring your apathy to God in prayerful lament. Mm. Um, I think like one of the worst things we can do with our spiritual indifference is just like pretend it's not there. Mm. Don't tell anybody else. Keep it in a closet and and definitely don't bring it before God. Um, But like what we see again and again in the Psalms is like people bring their junk before the Lord and... uh, and that like includes their apathy. The second thing um, would be think upon and remind yourself of urgent spiritual truths, like um, that life is short, that we have an eternal destination to which every human being will go either heaven with God or hell apart from Him. So remind yourself of like the urgency of life. The third would be read God's word. Um, and, and this is another way to just remind yourself of of how the world actually is by engaging God's word. The fourth would be just come to worship on Sunday. Um, hear the other voices of Christians singing to you. Um, be encouraged by that. Take uh, the sacraments. Eat eat the Lord's Supper. Like um, I've I've thought recently, man. If I'm still a Christian in fifty years which I, I think I will be. Yeah, yeah. But if I am, it will be in large measure due to the fact that I ate the Lord's Supper hmm. uh, regularly. That's one of the means of grace that God uses to preserve his church and sanctify us. And so um, just continue taking the sacraments. Um, another would be um, rethink your discipleship intake. For me personally, like when I feel spiritually passive, indifferent to the things of God, there is a, um, there's a definite correlation between my spiritual passivity and how much time I spend on Instagram or Zillow. Um, and so like all of life is spiritual formation. All of life is discipleship. And if we are just filling our spiritual lives with, um, whatever, like marketing techniques, Then, then we can expect to be apathetic and not care much about the promises of God. Um, the the sixth thing would be make sure you're in community with other believers, and specifically believers who are like maybe farther along than you, um, who are passionate about specific spiritual things. Listen to them talk, ask them questions, and be open with them about your apathy. Um, and then the the seventh and final thing that I thought of is uh, just get a good night's sleep. Like, we're whole human beings, and when we're tired physically, we are more prone to apathy, we're more prone to doubt. And so sometimes when we're feeling spiritually indifferent, genuinely, like, we just need to go to bed earlier mm. and uh, and get a good night's sleep. 
So that's not an exhaustive list, but it's seven quick things that I thought might be helpful. Yeah, those are really helpful things. I think if we check all those boxes routinely, we're, we'll be in, in pretty good shape and kind of build those rhythms in. But one thing you said I really thought was helpful was that, that idea about discipleship. Just kind of, we say it all the time, we're always being discipled, but how are we being discipled? Is Instagram discipling us? The discipling us is Zillow discipling us? As as odd as that sounds, but it really can. And what it does, it, it shifts our importance yeah. of things in our life. Like you said, the urgency, I think, is, is a word you used. And so, yeah, that got, I was thinking about that a lot too, reflecting on this question, this idea of is what we're doing urgent? Like, do we recognize the urgency of communion with Christ, of, of sharing his gospel with the world around us, of living out his presence in our communities? Do we feel the urgency of that, or do we let the urgency of everything else kind of crowd that out? Which really does lead to apathy, because we can only think through so many things at one time. Right. Um, another thing that really convicted me, in, in both hearing your sermon and in thinking through this question, was... Uh, I was reminded, I think there's this motion of like him hitting, him hitting arrows on the ground reminded me of, of Jesus talking about the friend banging on the door, mm-hmm. uh, in prayer, uh, talking about prayer in Luke 11. And he was talking about, I, f- I forget the way that the, and the NIV trans- translates this, but it's really, it's like audacious, an audacious request mm-hmm. that this friend is making to like get bread at 12, at midnight when everyone's sleeping, to bang on the door to ask another friend for bread. And Jesus is saying, like, that's how you should approach him in prayer, with audaciousness, an audacious request, kind of banging on his door at midnight. But I think so often my prayers can be tempered by this apathy of, like, a midday little knock and then running away Mm -hmm. is kind of how I approach prayer. But I think one way we can combat apathy is to really petition God in prayer continually for the same things over and over again, begging him to answer those things and watching as he does and watching him change our heart in that, I think would do a lot to really widen our eyes to the real spiritual conflicts and the real spiritual urgency around us and the need for us to be involved there, but also into how God's working. There's nothing that like shatters us out of apathy than seeing God actually work in someone's lives, than praying for a friend to come to know him and then watching that happen. Like that shakes us out of apathy yeah. in ways that I can't even describe. Um, so I hope that's helpful. That's just a couple ways amongst many. I feel we've talked about this idea of like spiritual famine a lot in second Kings. Yeah. And it's been really helpful. Um, the, the second question here kind of along the same lines is do you have any encouragement for when we go through a season of spiritual drought and not feeling very emotional about spiritual matters? Yeah. Yeah, so a few things. Um, one, it, it might be just helpful to say this. Um, feeling like emotionally distant from God might not necessarily be sinful or wrong. Um, we should be like pretty hesitant to create, to start like comparing our emotional spiritual life with other people's. Mm. Um, and then like, and then look at this person who has such a vibrant emotional life with God and then look at ourselves and say, Oh, we must be doing something wrong. Yeah. Um, one of the beauties of like 
just being a human being is that God's created us with all kinds of diversities, emotional diversities as well. So um, we should allow room for our personalities mm. to flourish spiritually and not like force ourselves into like a, like to be a mature Christian, you must, you must cry over your sin at least once every two weeks. At least. Right. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah. So allow room for your, yourself to be yourself. Um, the second thing would be to just, it, even if it is like sinful, um, understand that, um, by virtue of being in a fallen world and having sin live within us, it's normal. Like when we read the Psalms, we see so many examples of, of feeling distant from God. Like, where are you, God? Yeah. Why, why have you abandoned me here? Um, and actually one of the helpful things to do, like when we're feeling this way is to like, go read some Psalms of lament. Yeah. They create a really nice structure for us to take our like our apathy, plug it into, and um, and and direct our hearts back toward God. Um, another thing I'll just say is like what we love and our passions are uh, are not like speedboats; they're like cruise liners. And mm. so it takes it. You should expect it to take a a decently long time for your heart to really cultivate a genuine passion and spiritual zeal for things. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, it takes decades of being discipled and cultivated by the right things. Um, another encouragement would be remind yourself of the gospel. Like Jesus's death and resurrection, Jesus's atonement, also covers our passionlessness. Yeah. Um, we don't have to be the most zealous people on the face of the earth all the time. Um, like Jesus' death covers that. Um, and so there's forgiveness for even our passionlessness. And finally, I would just say, remind yourself that it's temporary. Um, sometimes when we're lost in like a, a dark night of the soul, it can feel like this is permanent. Like this will never end. Um, but a remind yourself that God is faithful, that it will end, that he will bring you through this um, almost certainly in this life. And if not in this life, then there will be a day when you will receive a resurrection body and a resurrection mind that will not be hampered by a lack of zeal or an indifference mm. or a dark night of the soul. Like someday we will be able to worship Christ in unhindered joy um, un unhindered by the apathy that lives within us, um, and the lack of emotion. So, um, I think when we feel these things like deep in our bones, like I wish I, like I want to want to want to worship God. <laughs> okay, I think I'm tracking want uh, to want to want. Yeah. But I don't want it, but I want to want it. Want to want it. Um, that should remind us like there will be a day when we won't have to want to want it because we will want it. We will worship yeah. God unhindered by our lack of zeal. And so I think this should make us feel like, oh, I I long for heaven even though I don't long for it. Yeah. I long to long for it. And that's a good thing. That's step one in actually longing for it. Yeah. Those are really, really great 
uh, and helpful things to think through. And thank you for just keeping right on track there when I made the very rookie podcast mistake of leaving my phone on. Great job. Unwavered. Perfect. Um, I love that point about knowing your kind of emotional range that you normally experience and not expecting something different when it comes to the gospel. Like if you're a naturally emotive person and the gospel does not make you emotional, that is something to probe and to think about and to explore why the gospel is not joy to tears like a Hallmark Christmas movie would, right? right? Like there is... There is something to that. If you're not a naturally emotive person, the gospel should still make you emotional, but it'll be different than someone else. So I think that's like we're not all going to worship or experience that in the same way. And I think that's a helpful thing to think through. Like what and what are other things that are causing you emotion, causing you to feel beauty or peace or grace or all these other kind of things that we feel and if the gospel does not do that, why is that? I think right. is a helpful question. One thing I, so I just thought of this, maybe this is, I don't know, tell me if this is not true, but like we live in a cultural age where everything is like rapid fire mm. in front of us. Like yeah. I'm scrolling on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's like a, a, a sad story about, you know, a school shooting and then, mm another horrible thing and then a cat video and then like mm-hmm. and so we're like desensitized and it's really hard to just sit and be with something and i think the the pace of the age that we live in dulls us and it makes us like not tend towards actually feeling things deeply right and one of the things that might be helpful is just to like detach from that um like enter into like like a, a process of meditation on God's word. Yeah. And um, like maybe one of the reasons we don't feel spiritual things deeply is just because we haven't sat with them long enough. Yeah. These things need to take time to melt and be a part of us. They're not going to be instant. Right. Uh, yeah. They're not instant cook spirituality things. They take time. Yeah. No, that's a great point. It's really helpful. Again, goes back to that. What's discipling you? How are you being discipled? Right. I guess not just in your, um, and your affection, but also in how you experience that affection, yeah, which is important. Um, all right, so that's our two questions from this week. Well, Anthony, I have a question for you. I know. This is a part of the podcast that is so, going to get um, interesting. Someone asked me this on Sunday, and this mm-hmm. was actually not for, for my sermon. It was for Matt's sermon. Yeah. But the question was, um, Matt had talked about how God would come. God's a God of restoration. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't. He's not a God that throws out old ovens or old earths. He comes and restores them. And so um, the question is, where do we see in Scripture that God will restore this earth and not just burn this earth in fire and then make a new, different one? Because Revelation 21 seems to say, like, the old things have passed away, the old earth is burned up, and behold, a new one is being created in its place. Yeah. So... Can you talk is, a little bit about that? That is a really good question. And you even talked about this a little bit in the end of your sermon where they just throw this dead guy on the bones of Elijah and he pops back to life. And you talked about that as being like a, a little glimpse of a coming restoration and then God's continued faithfulness to Israel, which also a wild part of that story I might throw in and a wild part of the text. And you think that tomb would become like the most 
sought after destination spot in all of yeah. all of Israel. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's a great question. I totally understand. There's so much language of fire and burning that it would it may seem that this earth is going to just be completely enveloped and completely gone, and then God's going to sort of ex nihilo a new heavens and new earth. Um, but I think a couple things kind of push against that idea in Scripture and point us to a remade earth, uh, a restored earth. So one of those things is we have to remember that John is writing with the Old Testament in view. And so are all the New Testament writers. Peter also talks a lot about this idea of um, a new heavens and a new earth and the old earth being done away with and remade. And they're both tapping into language of the Old Testament, particularly the flood. Peter does this explicitly, talking about the flood being an, an archetype of God's judgment, uh, ridding the earth of the of evil and leaving a remnant. In that case, Noah. In this case, a new creation, right? And a remade earth. And so plugging into that archetype, it seems as what the scripture is saying here is not that earth will be completely just demolished, obliterate, obliterated, I can't even say that word, and done away with in total, but that like the flood washed away and all the wicked that was done, that will be the, that will be the coming judgment. Uh, I think Peter says this explicitly when he talks about this in, in 2 Peter 3. He talks about the earth will pass away with the roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, which again seems kind of like that, maybe even like total annihilation language, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And that exposed language is interesting, this idea of not being completely destroyed but being laid bare. And I think this is in reference to the wicked things that are done, the way that sin has distorted and unmade the earth in creation in some way is what's being totally done away with instead of the actual physical earth itself. And so I would say that is, is a good passage to go to. Also, in Romans 8, there's Paul talks about the earth longing, groaning to be restored, groaning to be made new, which I think just fits so much better with this idea of a remade earth instead of a destroyed earth. Yeah. So, so those are two big things I would go to. The overarching idea of the flood being an archetype of, of, of God's judgment and this idea of earth groaning for new creation, Romans 8. Yeah. Would you like to add anything to that? No, I just want to read Romans 8. Yeah. So he says, for the creation, so this is not like human beings, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So it's like this picture of all of creation groaning. Mm -hmm. But he says, like, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So there's this picture painted of, like, uh, creation itself, like the trees... And the yeah. sunsets and the king, they have like this, they have like spiritual cancer. And someday, what's, and they're groaning because of it. And someday, what's going to happen is not like everything's just going to be erased when right. we start over. It's actually the cancer from creation is going to be removed and, uh, and creation is going to be restored, but in such a way that it's even better than it was before. So, um, yeah, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption doesn't indicate 
annihilation, but a setting free and erasing of, of evil within creation. Right, the exposing of those works, being exactly. laid bare. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I hope that's helpful. Um, I hope that's helpful f- for your Bible studies. And I think it may be good to really delve into the, this idea of how are we spiritually apathetic? How can we push back inside apathy? Um, and maybe even talk about times we have been or if we are at a place of spiritual apathy. I think it'd be a helpful conversation for us to have. Um, any other questions you think people should be thinking through walking into Bible study? I think that's great. Mm. All right. Well, thank you. thanks again for serving our church well yesterday, Greg. It was a, a great sermon. Hope you guys enjoyed the B-Team B-Sides. If you want us to, again... Just tell Matt and Steve, say, hey, they did a good job. You should have them on again. And they might. Just maybe they'll let us have another crack at it. All right. You guys all have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side podcast. For more resources, information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.